Hey everyone, and welcome to the Bethlehem Church of Christ podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that today's message encourages and inspires you and helps you on your journey to discover and follow the will of God. The outline of this message, speaker, message title, and series can be found in the show notes or the details page. Be sure to check us out on Facebook or on our church website at Bethlehem505.com. And now, here is the message. Now, war and military service are not um, lapping matters, but often instructions given to military personnel are saturated with sarcasm to make a point. <laughs> Ran across a list one time, and I've just pulled a few uh, uh, out of this list, called Wit and Wisdom from Military Manuals. These are actual things that have appeared in various military manuals and journals um, so just listen to some of these, uh, like this one that says, if the enemy is in range, so are you. That's a good thing to remember. A U.S. Air Force manual says, it is generally inadvisable to eject over the area that you just bombed. <laughs> uh, this one is kind of a duh moment. Instructions printed on a U.S. rocket launcher, it says, aim towards the enemy. Um, I like this one. Try to look unimportant. They may be low on ammo. And this one, uh, spoken by a U.S. Marine gunnery sergeant, he points to some guys and says, you, you, and you, panic. The rest of you come with me. Uh, This warning, tracers work both ways. And this warning, Five-second fuses only last three seconds. So get it out of your hand. All right, then this one. Without ammunition, this is just an observation. Without ammunition, the United States Air Force would be just another expensive flying club. Without ammunition. How about this one? Don't draw fire. It irritates the people around you. (laughs) And finally... United States Air Force Ammo Troop says, if you see a bomb technician running, follow him. Well, that's pretty good advice um, for other areas of life as well. You know, in our world cursed by sin, we have plenty of serious battles to fight. We have physical and emotional battles that we have to fight every week. And we have spiritual battles that are incredibly important. And each day, each day, there is a spiritual war going on around us and even within us. A battle that began not long after the dawn of time. Because the devil challenged the authority of God And he has been fighting against God and against God's followers ever since. And it's not pretty sometimes in that battle. So the point is, as is on the top of your page on your sermon notes, we have a dangerous enemy. We have a dangerous enemy. We are in the middle of a very real battle between the forces of heaven and the forces of hell, 
So if we are not armed and prepared, we can end up a casualty of war. And that's one reason in Ephesians 6, the Holy Spirit guides the Apostle Paul to tell us about some armor that God has given us to protect us in this everyday battle. Starting in Ephesians 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Remember that phrase. And remember verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. To summarize all verse 12 in one word, demons. Verse 13, therefore put on, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. And then verse 14, I'm just going to read the beginning. It says, stand firm then. Now verse 12 is very important in helping us understand who our enemy is and who our enemy is not. And we get this confused a lot of times. Our enemy, folks, is not ultimately another human being. It is not that irritating coworker, nor the unfriendly neighbor, or your bothersome in-law, nor a rival sports team. Our enemy is not even the violent criminal or cowardly terrorist, as evil as they might be. See, the devil can and does manipulate and use certain people. And he does it very well. But ultimately, behind the scenes, Satan is the real enemy. Even if someone may be his tool, he's the enemy. Now, the Bible uses numerous titles and descriptions to reinforce who the devil is and what he does. It calls him in Scripture the adversary. That's literally what the word Satan means. It calls him the accuser, the tempter, the evil one. It calls Jesus, called him a murderer. He's called the destroyer, a thief, the ancient serpent, a lion who seeks to devour us. And all those descriptions are given to us so that we will take him seriously. He is an evil spirit who is filthy in his intent and awesome in his power. And that's why verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I've said this many times through the years, and I hope you, you, this will sound familiar. Satan's only way to get back at God, since he knows he can't defeat him, is to mess up the lives of the people who God created and who God loves so much. That's ultimately the only way Satan can hurt God is by messing up your life and messing up my life and messing up our culture and our families and society. That's how Satan hurts God. Okay. Oh, that was pretty negative. But there's also good news. And that is that we have special armor from God. 
Again, verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Verse 13, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. This week at VBS, more than 100 children will learn about that armor. And each day they will learn about a part of the armor and a Bible story that illustrates that part of the armor. And that becomes the outline for my four points uh, for my message this morning. Now, the first one is the one that I think the lesson has been changed somewhat, but the belt of truth will be the focus. The belt of truth. Verse 14, first part of the verse says, Stand then firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. On a soldier at that time in history, the belt held all of the armor and equipment together. You didn't have the belt, you had a problem. If the belt was loose or the belt was missing, the soldier was in trouble because it made the rest of the armor basically useless. The belt held it all together. And what God is saying here by talking about you and me wearing the belt of truth is that that belt of truth, or that truth is our belt that holds everything together. Truth is what undergirds every part of our existence. Truth is something absolute that we can depend on. Truth. Did you notice in verse 11, it talks about the devil's schemes. In other words, the devil's plotting against us. John 8, 44, Jesus called him the father of lies. So I want you to write this down. That we've got a principle on each point here, and here's the first one. Satan attacks with lies. But Josiah in the Old Testament teaches us to let God's word guide us. Turn back, if you will, to 2 Kings in the Old Testament. 2 Kings 22. There we meet a young man, a young boy initially, named Josiah. And if you look at Josiah's life and in the the lives of his father and grandfather in the preceding chapters, Josiah did not seem to have much of a chance morally. He had a lousy home life, very dysfunctional home life, despite the fact that it was, uh, they had some family power and some family wealth. But folks, family power and family wealth does not mean there can't be dysfunction. There was a lot of sin in Josiah's home. His father was named Ammon, and he was an evil man. He was a wicked king of Judah. His grandfather's name was Manasseh. He was an evil, evil man, and he was a wicked king of Judah. So when Josiah's father was murdered, when Josiah was just eight years old, Josiah was made king. And Josiah, this is very important, chose a very different path of life than what his father had chosen and what his grandfather had chosen. Now I want you to not miss this point. Look back in 2 Kings 21 verse 2 where it introduces Josiah's grandfather named Manasseh. 
This is the home he grew up in. It says this, chapter 21, verse 2, Manasseh did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. That was Grandpa. Now go down to verse 20 to verse 22, we, we meet Daddy, Ammon. It says, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord as the father Manasseh had done. He walked in all the ways of his father. He worshipped the idols his father had worshipped and bowed down to them. He forsook the Lord, the God of his fathers, and did not walk in the way of the Lord. Now when you read about daddy and you read about grandpa, it's striking when we meet Josiah in chapter 22, verse 2. And it says of Josiah, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David. That's going way back generations to King David. It says, not turning aside to the right or to the left. Now, I want to give you a little side lesson here that's very important. If you are still blaming some of your own sins in your life on a lousy childhood or on some evil ancestor, stop it. Stop doing that. Do something about it. You can choose a different path. Josiah did not wimp out and say, I'm messed up because dad was messed up. I'm messed up because grandpa was messed up. Josiah refused to use the old baggage excuse and says, I'm going to live different. I'm going to make different choices than my evil daddy did. And he decided to do that at age 8. Then at age 26, we read about him in this chapter. And he began repairing the temple of God because evil daddy and evil grandpa had let the temple fall into uh, disrepair. Well, Josiah decided to do something about that. He sets off to repair the temple of God. He began a time of reform in the nation of Judah. And in the process, the book of God's law was discovered. Now, it tells you how bad things were that during Daddy's time and Grandpa's time, the Bible wasn't even, no one even knew where it was. So in verse 8 to verse 11, we read about how he gets the report that they've found the Word of God again. It says, Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan who read it. Then Shaphan the secretary went to the king and reported to him, Your officials have paid, paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord, have entrusted it to the work, workers and supervisors of the temple. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. The Bible had been ignored so long in the land of Judah that they hadn't even realized what it said. They didn't even remember what the Bible said. So I got a question for you. Has the Bible fallen out of use at your house has the Bible fallen out of use at your house so that there are at least some people in your household that don't have any idea what the Bible says? Has it fallen out of use in your own life? There's a key turning point in the beginning of chapter 23. 
where Josiah decides to do something about the fact that the Bible has been found and do something about what they read in the book. It says this, Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. Folks, that didn't take 30 minutes. <laughs> all, all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, regulations, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. You see, they decided to take God's words seriously once again and follow wherever God's words led them. And the result... They had a great a time of great reform in the whole nation because they got back to the Bible. And another result was a very good life led by Josiah. I love the summary of his life in verse 24 and 25 of chapter 23. Furthermore, Josiah got rid of the mediums and spiritists. If you notice how those are making a comeback in America right now, it's on mainstream television and everything else. Josiah got rid of the mediums and spiritists, the household gods, the idols, and all the other detestable things seen in Judah and Jerusalem. This, this he did to fulfill the requirements of the law written in the book that Hilkiah the priest had discovered in the temple of the Lord. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength in accordance with all the law of Moses." And that happened all because Josiah put on the belt of truth. Josiah decided to buckle on the belt of truth and say, we're going to live by this from now on. Even if daddy didn't, even if grandpa didn't, we're going to do it from now on. My friends, the lies of Satan are no match for the truth of God. Are you believing Satan's lies? Let me tell you some of the lies that Satan has used. Some of these he's used for centuries some he's using right now a little better. <laughs> Here's just a, a sampling. Satan will tell us lies like this. God wants you to be happy, so go ahead and do whatever you want. How about this lie? Sin won't hurt you. Or this one. No one will ever know. <laughs> Satan likes this one. Sex is for fun, so it doesn't matter how you use it or with whom. How about this popular one? Money and possessions will make you happy. This is real popular right now. Jesus is okay, but you don't need the church. It's one of Satan's favorite lies in America and Western culture right now. How about this one? Oh, it's not really a person until the moment of birth. Satan is using that lie big time. What about this lie right now in America? There are many, many different genders... God and the Bible are wrong. He likes this lie too. You've got plenty of time to change. You've got plenty of time to change. Ephesians 6.17 says that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. 
And folks, God's sword of the Spirit shreds every one of Satan's lies. Every one of them. So let's wear the belt of truth tightly and be a knight for Christ because that's how we shine in God's armor. On Tuesday, our kids are going to learn about having ready feet. Now that is an interesting little phrase, but it does literally say in verse 15, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In other words, feet, that we have feet that are ready with the gospel. Feet ready to follow Jesus when he calls. Feet ready to answer God's call. Here's the principle on this one. Satan tears down. Satan tears things down. But Nehemiah in the Old Testament teaches us to serve and build when God calls. Turn, if you will, to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, just a books after 2 Kings. Satan is a destroyer, as we already said. Satan is in the business of tearing down and breaking and harming. He takes goodness and brings evil. He takes harmony and creates discord. He turns joy into sorrow. He turns hope into despair. See, that's Satan's business. It's his way to get back at God. When he does those things in our lives, it saddens God, and that's his way to get back at God. Well, in the first six chapters of Nehemiah, we read about a major problem for the people of Israel. Most of the nation of Judah was still off in exile, 800 miles away in the, what's now the area of Iran and Iraq. After many years, Jerusalem was still laying in ruins, almost 150 years after it had been destroyed. But some of the Jews had started venturing back to the promised land and had resettled in Jerusalem, and the report was not good about what they found. So in verse 3, uh, here's the report. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. Well, that had been true for 150 years, and no one had done anything about it. Nehemiah's reactions in verse 4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then it has some of his prayer. And then chapter 2 tells us that Nehemiah decided to take a major, major risk. See, Nehemiah could have sat at his comfortable place uh, working near the palace in uh, Persia, and he could have prayed and cried and said, well, that's really too bad. Sorry to hear about the walls of Jerusalem. Could have sent a sympathy card to the people there. Sorry to hear about your luck. <laughs> but no, Nehemiah decided to ask the king of Persia if he could travel back 800 miles to try to do something about the problem. Now, Take note of a couple facts here. Nehemiah had a very, very comfortable life at the palace. He had access to the king and the queen and a close relationship with them. He had it good where he was. But folks, Nehemiah left all of that to examine the mess and recruit and motivate workers and rebuild the walls despite plenty of interference and outright military opposition. You see, Nehemiah knew somebody had to do something 
Somebody had to step up and Nehemiah said, why not me? Why not me? So he traveled back the 800 miles, started facing open opposition, even militarily, to doing the project. So I want you to pick up with me in chapter 4, starting at verse 8. Nehemiah 4, verse 8. It's all about the opposition. It says, They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. This is why they're trying to rebuild a wall. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. There's an important lesson there. They prayed, but they still did their part. Verse 10, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and, and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. So they're starting to get discouraged. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. So all of a sudden, everybody's starting to think, no, we can't do this, Nehemiah. Notice what he says in verse 14. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Notice he's saying, we're not giving up. Verse 16, from that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Now think of this. And each of the builders wore his sword at his sight as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. The result was that together they succeeded in completing this amazing mission, rebuilding a rebuilding project with military opposition in only 52 days. All because a courageous, faithful man named Nehemiah had ready feet and he answered God's call as uncomfortable as the call was. Folks, God has always needed people who will answer his call and step up and serve and build. Edmund Burke said long ago that all that was necessary for evil to, to prevail was for good people to do nothing. Nehemiah was determined to do something. I think of others who have stepped up the same way. A man named David Barton was disturbed by the eroding moral values in America several decades ago. So he spent years researching American history and established wall builders, an organization dedicated to communicating the truth about America's godly heritage. Charles Colson became concerned about the nearly one million Americans in prison who needed Christ. So he established Prison Fellowship, an organization that has enlisted 55,000 volunteers who are ministering to people behind bars. Dr. James Dobson's heart was broken over the breakdown of the American family. So he started a ministry called Focus on the Family, dedicated to rebuilding the foundation of the home. My mentor and father figure, Gene Doolin, became deeply concerned about believers and lost people trapped in communist countries in the 1970s. So he left his comfortable ministry in Indiana and began TCM International, a ministry that has changed countless lives and nations, including my life. Friends, let's serve and build when God calls. 
I challenge you to look around Bethlehem and ask what you can do. Look around our communities and ask, what can I do? Look around your school or workplace and say, what can I do? Look around at our VBS this week and say, what can I do even if I haven't signed up yet? See, as our nation becomes more and more godless, look around for what you can do. Make a difference. So my challenge is be a knight for Christ with ready feet. And I challenge you to shine in God's armor. Tomorrow, our kids will learn about the shield of faith. Verse 16 puts it this way. It says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The Roman army was known for their large rectangular shields that had alternating layers, get this, of bronze and oxhide, which, was, which made them strong and fireproof. You see, flaming arrows were very common in those times. You know, having a flame on an arrow, shoot it into a house or something, and it just start a fire. This passage is saying that faith is to be our shield. And the devil hurls fear and despair and doubt at us all the time, but our faith is what diverts the arrows so that we keep going. So here's the principle on your outline. Satan prompts us to doubt. Joshua teaches us to trust God for the crazy and the impossible. The book of Numbers, verse, chapters 13 and 14, tells about Moses sending spies from among them into the promised land, into Canaan, to check it out. Well, Satan immediately used fear and despair to discourage 10 of the 12 spies who come back and discourage the entire nation. So the people chose fear instead of obedience, and they literally set the work of God back 40 years. 40 years. They could have been in the promised land 40 years earlier had they used the shield of faith. <laughs> well, finally, after a new generation of Israelites comes in Joshua 5 and 6, we read about this new generation of Israelites, and God says to the nation, okay, folks, let's try this again. Let's try this again. And it's striking what God does. Do not miss this. We all know the story of Jericho, but... Notice that it's the first place God sent them. God sent them to the hardest city to conquer in the entire land first. The amazing fortified city that was centuries old, the ultimate impregnable fortress, 25 foot high walls, 20 feet thick. The prevailing view at the time was you can't attack Jericho, it's useless, it's pointless. So where does God tell them to go? He goes, I want you to go to Jericho first. I want you to go to the hardest city to conquer first. Why would God do that? Sounds very strange and even suicidal. But folks, God wanted to deal with their fears and doubts head on. And I think there's a great lesson there for parents, for coaches, and others in leadership positions. Sometimes the way to help our child or someone else is to let them face the challenges head on instead of sparing them from all those things. 
See, God wanted to prove to them that they could trust him, so he sent them to the hardest challenge first. And then he explains the strategy, which was militarily ridiculous. They were to march around the city walls. The people in front leading the way were not the army, but the religious leaders. And that's not my favorite part of the story, that they put the preachers in front. (laughs) Not the army. Uh, They carried not battering rams, but trumpets. Ooh, scary. (laughs) The people marched silently for six days, as everybody probably taunted them. Then God says, okay, on the seventh day, you're going to march around the city seven times, saying nothing. And then you're all going to shout. Sounded very silly. But yet, Joshua chapter 6, verse 20, says this. Got a pillar there. (laughs) When the trumpets sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. You see, they won by trusting in God. They won by faith. So I challenge you today to be a knight for Christ who trusts God for the crazy and the impossible. That's how you shine in God's armor. So I ask you today, what's your Jericho? What's your Jericho that you're scared of? Well, finally, on Thursday, our kids are going to learn about the helmet of salvation. Verse 17 in Ephesians 6 tells us to take the helmet of salvation. See, the helmet protects the head. But spiritually, how is salvation our helmet? Take the helmet of salvation. Well, I think 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8 and 9 explains this a little better because it adds a phrase. It says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation, important phrase, as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. You see, if we know that we have eternal salvation through Jesus after this life, then nothing should really freak us out in this life. See, the worst someone can do is just kill our body, and that's just our body. The helmet of salvation allows us to say with confidence, you know, this life, with all its pains and struggles and junk and pettiness and heartache, this life is temporary. It's temporary. So write this principle in on your outline. Satan steals hope. Satan steals hope. John the Baptist and Jesus teach us to repent and be baptized. Matthew chapter 3 tells about John the Baptist's ministry and how he was preparing for Jesus' ministry. And the key word in his preaching was repent. Said it over and over, repent, repent. Chapter 3 opens up, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judah and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Verse 5 and 6 says, People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. It goes on to explain, or he explains to them, what repentance really meant in their daily lives. Things they ought to change, noticeable things, so people could see their repentance. And then in verse 13 Somebody else shows up to be baptized. And it was not a cruel soldier or a dishonest businessman. Notice who shows up to be baptized in verse 13. It says, then Jesus, 
Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Please take note that the one person in the history of the world who did not need to be baptized walked 60 miles plus to be baptized. Jesus was identifying himself with us. He was putting himself in our place just as he later would on the cross. And it was even a prophecy, a foreshadowing of his own death and burial and resurrection that he would later do for us. And God was well pleased with his son Jesus. So folks, it's amazing to see how Matthew 3 sets the stage for the first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2. We saw these verses last week. Acts 2 gets to the end of the sermon about Jesus, and verse 36 says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then the following verses say this, and I knew those well enough that I could get by with that part up there, but we'll see how they're doing this. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people put on the helmet of salvation that day and they gained hope through the blood of Jesus Christ. So I challenge you today, if you need to, to repent and be baptized and be a knight for Christ and then shine in his armor. Folks, we are in an intense battle, a life or death struggle. Lives are at stake. Civilizations are at stake. Time is of the essence. Our children and grandchildren are counting on us. The Christian martyrs of the past are counting on us to be faithful just like they were. So I echo the words, the song lyrics of Charles Wesley, who said, Soldiers of Christ, arise and put your armor on. Strong in the strength which God supplies through his eternal Son. So I invite you this morning to get out of the recliner or out of the church seat and get into the battle. Whether you're age 47 or 15 or 9 or 33 or 85 years old, I challenge you to get in the battle, whatever way you can fight. Maybe you need to get back into the battle. You used to be in it full-blown, full force. and Somehow you've just drifted away from that. Maybe it means you coming here one or more evenings this week to change a child's life. My mind didn't go blank. I'm just wanting you to think about that. Those of you who have chosen for no other reason to, to stay away, you can change a child's life this week. 
you just come and help and say, you come count, count money. Come say, greet the parents when they come in to bring their kids. You can do something. Ephesians 6 verse 13 says, Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. God is looking for strong, faithful, courageous knights who will shine for him. So let's ask ourselves the question at the bottom of the page and then we're going to sing our song of decision. Who will I listen to and follow? Who will I listen to and follow? Satan is screaming and he's shouting pretty loud in America right now. Saying, listen to me. <laughs> and a lot of people are. But I challenge you to listen to the call of God who's calling you into the battle to fight back at Satan for the sake of our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids and the future of civilization. So as we sing this song this morning, there may be someone who wants to just come up and say, you know what, I hadn't signed up to do anything this week, but I realize God's prompting me, God's calling me to come change lives just by being here to do whatever needs done. A lot of you guys will be coming this week. You'll work your full day, and then you'll come here and spend the evening. And that's why I'm going to work my full day, and then I'm going to come here and spend the evening too. Because we can change a child's life. Maybe you haven't helped for the last six years. How about come back tomorrow night? You can change a child's life. So let's, as soldiers of Christ, arise. Because there's a big battle. Let's stay. Thank you for listening to the Bethlehem Church of Christ podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and think others can benefit from it, we encourage you to share it on social media, subscribe to our podcast, or leave us a rating and review on the podcast platform you use. You can also connect with us online at Bethlehem505.org or find us on Facebook. Please join us next time as we each seek to understand God's Word and follow His Son, Jesus Christ.